That was Swallowtail Jig by Katie Adelson. We're going to be talking about Swallowtails later in the program, so please stay tuned. This is Farm and Fiddle, the weekly show that explores and celebrates rural life here on 89.5 FM KOPN, Columbia, Missouri. This is Josh Stevens, one of the co-hosts of Farm and Fiddle. Margo's been working hard every week to create an at-home show to broadcast here on the radio station, and I asked her if she wanted a break, and she said she would be delighted to have a break, and so here I am. I hope you enjoy the show. Uh, Later in the show, we're going to be talking with uh, one of our local native plant experts, Nadia Navarrete Tindall, who uh, works at Lincoln University, but also just has a very open enthusiasm for sharing all the information that she can about native plants here in central Missouri. First, Margot's going to provide us with a little bit of news from this last week. And it's time for some agriculture in the news. Our regular listeners know that since the beginning, Farm and Fiddle has followed the stories around genetic engineering. The first seeds to be genetically engineered were soybean seeds, created to resist applications of the glyphosate herbicide marketed as Roundup. After soybeans came corn, canola, cotton, and a lot of other common crops, so that farmers could plant, then apply Roundup and kill all the weeds that came up in their fields. Pretty slick. But, as we all know, nature bats last in the great game of planet control. Weeds became resistant and came up just like they had before. Industry replied, we'll make a new fix. We'll create seeds resistant to more herbicides. So now farmers have seeds resistant to dicamba in their tool chest. Trouble is, dicamba drifts onto neighboring fields killing crops that haven't got the resistant gene. And state ag departments have been overwhelmed with complaints. And last week, Monsanto was ordered to pay $10.9 billion to victims of cancer who trace their exposure to glyphosate. And more cases are in the backlog. Okay, so now Monsanto, which is owned by Bayer, wants to spray even more lethal poisons on farmland. Here's a release from the Pesticide Action Network. Headline, Yet More GE Seeds? No thanks. For years now, pesticide industry giants have been peddling their genetically engineered GE technology kits, modified seeds and the herbicides that go with them. Clear evidence shows this system is dangerous, brittle, and failing. Yet these corporations are now doubling down. Right now, the U.S. Department of Agriculture, USDA, is considering a request from Monsanto, recently acquired by Bayer, to approve a new GE corn seed engineered for use with five, yes, five, different herbicides. This is truly a terrible idea. Monsanto, now owned by Bayer, has petitioned the U.S. Department of Agriculture, or USDA, to approve a new GE corn seed 
engineered to tolerate applications of not just one or two chemicals, but five, dicamba, glufosinate, quizilofob, 2,4-D, and glyphosate. Genetically engineered GE seeds are designed to tolerate applications of specific herbicides and widespread application has created a crisis for farmers. Industry's answer? More GE seeds engineered to be used with increasingly strong chemicals. The Pesticide Action Network is teaming up with the National Family Farm Coalition and Friends of the Earth to deliver an emphatic no thanks to USDA in advance of their July 7th deadline. They ask us to join them in calling for USDA to reject Monsanto's petition to approve this new multi-trait GE corn seed. We know exactly who would benefit and it's not farmers. Dicambent tolerant soy, for example, has damaged or destroyed millions of crop acres, causing huge financial losses for thousands of farmers across the country. Companies like Monsanto or Bayer win big as farmers plant GE seeds defensively to protect their crop from drift damage even if they don't intend to use the cocktail of chemicals themselves. Meanwhile, farmers in their communities lose out as seed choices are limited, chemical trespass and exposure increases, and biodiversity is undermined. Now more than ever, farmers need tools to build the diverse, climate-resilient food systems we so urgently need. This new GE seed would take options away as farmers are forced to plant it defensively to protect themselves from drifting herbicides. If you're interested in signing their petition, go to the Pesticide Action Network North America website. And you can learn more by listening to Farm and Fiddle's podcast with Steve Smith of Driftwatch. Go to kopn.org. Click on Farm and Fiddle, then on our podcast page for episode 16 with Steve Smith of Driftwatch. And that's our agriculture in the news. Thanks for listening. Thank you for sharing, Margo. Really appreciate you keeping up with the news and sharing it with us. Coming up next is the interview with Nadia Navarrete Tindall. Hope you enjoy. I'm speaking with Nadia Navarrete Tindall on the telephone. Um, we're conducting this interview. Um, it's Saturday. It's noon, June 28th. And Nadia has graciously volunteered to share her knowledge about uh, stinging nettle in particular for foraging for food and uh, possibly medicine qualities and also other nettles. We don't just have stinging nettle. And, and then whatever other uh, opportunities we have to forage uh, to supplement our diets. Thank you very much, Nadia, for joining us here on Farm and Fiddle. I really yeah, appreciate th- it. Yeah, thank you, Josh, for inviting me. I'm actually I'm always excited to talk about native edible plants. 
and um, specifically about we're talking about nettles uh, like many people are really consuming the more I talk to people I realize that it's more common and more people know more um, through the years I've seen a big change in the interest and I have found people that are already consuming the nettles and so and they are some of the most, one of the most nutritious uh, plants that you can find in woodlands, and they do have vitamins A and C, and a few minerals, including calcium, manganese, phosphorus, and iron. So, in in one of the this plant, I find it um, that people are so interested that you can. Um, you, get, you can get more information in, from uh, professional sources. And so lucky we are to have a professional source available right now. Thank you. Thank you. And, you know, I would just like to say that I agree more people are becoming aware, and um, you've dedicated your life to this, and you are one of the people that's helping me become more aware. And thank you. Well, I appreciate that. I, I'm actually, I'm, I really enjoy it. I'm, I have a love for nature in general, and, and all the critters that depend on it. And, and at the same time, I know that as humans, especially now with the situation we're living now, we can have access to nature, and we can base some samples for our own diet. And nettles is one of them. And one of the things I like about nettle is that it can be very abundant in woodlands. And I don't feel bad to tell people to go forage because they will never disappear. There are other species, like wild leeks is one example. I don't like to promote foraging because they are pretty, they could be very sensitive to over-harvesting. But nettles is just a good one. Yeah, the leeks, I believe, don't they take like eight years to reach their reproduction stage? Yeah, just about seven to eight years from seed. You can uh, propagate them from uh, by dividing your uh, mature plants. But in order to have a, a good population, you need at least uh, four to five years to have a, an established population. And unfortunately, people just harvest it to death. And, and in, in some places in the, in, the, in the country, it has been exterminated. So it's why it, it's good uh, to grow them on purpose. Like with nettles, you can find them in woodlands. So you, I mean, it's pretty easily available. But um, if anybody wants to grow it in their own yard, I would, I mean, that's easy. You can just take a, take a piece of the plant. They reproduce from, they, they separate easily um, from, the, from the base. So as long as you have a root, you can, get, you can start a plant in a pot. Uh, otherwise, it would take away. I mean, they, would, they, would, they will be in your whole backyard if you are not careful. <laughs> yeah. And... I've heard of people also bringing them inside, like in a root cellar, to get cuttings uh-huh. off of them. 
Oh, that's a good idea. I've never done it. But I mean, uh, these plants are so easy to grow that you can try different ways to grow it. And we have it in our backyard. And um, I didn't tell my husband until he found out on his own <laughs> that we had the nettles. And, and I felt bad because I didn't, he didn't realize that it was nettles growing and it had to spread a little bit. And, but in, so I, we still have a source. And in order to contain it too, it's it actually actually ours is growing directly in the ground, and we just harvest in the spring and later, so it it's short, and you can keep harvesting. Nice. And is there a time when the plant should not be harvested from? Like well, when it's, yeah, um, if you keep harvesting, I have tried that. I I did I mention that I'm working at Lincoln University. Uh, my job now is as a specialty crops specialist with emphasis in native plants. And well, we're trying to grow them as crops. So uh, what we do is uh, we have established an area. And I'm just starting to do this. And so the first time when you harvest is in the spring. And then you let them grow a little more. So they, so you can keep harvesting. And then the, the new growth is what you need for your consumption. So when would you not um, harvest? Is there like a certain height or when they develop flowers? Or is it all fair game? Yeah, naturally, like if you find it in a woodland, this time of the year is already too large. It's been grown tall and it might be ready to uh, start blooming. That, um, at that point, you can use the leaves, but it's a little hard. So the best time in natural stands is in the spring before it gets too hot. And, and the plant, and you can tell by looking at the leaves, if they are pretty tender, they're so good to eat. But if they are a little hard, they might be good just for tea. And that is, so it just, you learn as you go. And it's when I mentioned, what I mentioned about harvest, if you do several harvests, you are uh, creating new growth. And you can have up to three times. Three, three harvests harvest, uh, during the year. Nice. Yeah, I, I with some friends, uh, Margo included, uh, we harvested some nettle earlier this week, mm-hmm. and we had done it the week before, and I noticed the leaves were more... Um, uh, harsh? I wouldn't say harsh, but like more difficult to break down with chewing. Mm-hmm. And I also noticed towards the end of the week, I started seeing flowers. Uh-huh. Yeah, and, well, and it's important to mention that for people that have never done it before, they need to uh, know that the, it's, the, it's called stinking nettle for a good reason. And, and I want to mention uh, that we have three different species. The one that is non-native, that is actually naturalized in Missouri, is thinking nettle. It's the one that is more common across the state. And it's not native? Uh, it is not native. Wow. Some people, it depends who you talk to, uh, different 
bad news, have different opinions, but I chose to to um, believe that it's not a non-native plant based on my resources. And bad is so naturalized, and it grows everywhere that it, you cannot do anything about it, and it's, it's a good plant. So, and it's not invasive like bush honeysuckle, for example. Um. So, so this one is really very, I mean, you have to be sure that you use gloves. I'm sure that you did use gloves, did oh, you? Yes, yes. <laughs> because you, yeah, I had, I first, the first time I uh, harvested, I didn't do it. I was, uh, I want to be, I wanted to be brave, but I, <laughs> I paid the price. <laughs> and, I think we've all it, tried that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and uh, but one thing also is, uh, um, that is good to mention that uh, this thinking nettle, the, the scientific name is Putica dioica, and this one uh, grows in areas where uh, impatience, our native impatience, or jewel weed grows. Yes. So if you get stung by nettle, you can use the juice of these uh, impatience. Same thing that you use it if you if you run into poison ivy. So that would help with the with, to clean the area that you rub with either one of these two plants. Yes, and uh, Margo and I and the other folks we were with, we all relied on the jewel weed because even with gloves, you're still going to get stung a little bit. Yeah, and it's just like a, it's just funny how the, with the nettles you can it's different with poison ivy as you know you get you know later that you were you had poison ivy but with uh, nettle is immediate and it it lasts the that stung, the the stinging sensation lasts a while depending how much you how much you were in contact with the nettle. Um, I have a question about something you mentioned a while ago about it being naturalized. Um, what about the ecology? Has the local, um, say, pollinator species, have they naturalized along with it? I mean, apparently so, if they're, if they're doing great. Yeah, um, well, actually, the, this, uh, uh, the non-native, the Urtica dioica, were, um, uh, gross in areas with another, with one of the native nettles, which is called a uh, wood nettle. This one is La Portilla canadensis. These two, uh, you can find them almost always together, growing together. Uh, they, they have similar pollinators, and you can find it, uh, maybe plants like Sweet Williams, one of the native phloxes growing together. Yeah, the purple one. Uh-huh, and I've seen, uh, I live near uh, Twin Lakes, and I can see these two nettles growing together with um, Sud Williams, and it seems to be that they have adapted to each other. I mean, everybody. <laughs> they, and, but uh, the truth is that I don't know exactly about their, their pollinators, but they don't seem to, to they, they seem to they work together, and what I have seen them. Nice. 
And actually in these areas you can find white leeks sometimes growing with these two. Okay. And that's a good uh, combination. Like when I talk about growing them as crops in our place, uh, we have a, we live on Grand Lane and we have a um, pretty shady backyard. So we have nettles in one area. Then we planted white leeks in raised beds along with violets. So they kind of uh, work together. And then I haven't planted the, the native wood nettle because I have access to it in, from other areas. But they seem to work really well, uh, like in, in backyards. Nice. Um, I'm curious, um, if, do you know of anybody having um, negative reactions besides touching the stinging part of it? But as far as consuming any of the nettles, if, are you familiar with anybody having negative reactions? Um, I don't know anybody personally, but it's always um, it's, it's good for people to know if they haven't had if they, they haven't uh, had these uh, nettles ever before, they just should try it a little to see if they are allergic. There might it might be. Yeah. And, oh, and go ahead. No, please go ahead. No, what I was saying that is with any plant, any native plant that you want to consume for food, you just have to try with a little. I mean, you have to be very cautious because you never know. And I, uh, I did try, for example, poke, poke with or poke salad. Yes. I know that uh, you can, uh, you hear about it, that is, uh, in many, many sources, they refer to it as being um, toxic. But if you know what, what, to con what to collect, and if you don't eat too much, and, and you know how to prepare it, then you're going to be fine. So it's just that um, I would ask everyone to be cautious, but I don't know of any personal cases that will cause allergies. Yeah, I haven't heard of it with singing nettle either, but wise, wise advice to always just start with a little and wait some time and see if there's a reaction. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it's something that you have never consumed before. Just, just be cautious. But once you learn to identify them too, and you know how to, when to harvest and, and how to prepare them, then you'll be okay. And like through the years, when my husband and I have uh, diversified our diet just by uh, trying different things every year, like one, one thing that I didn't have before, and we did this year, is uh, milk with flowers. But it's just the flowers that are not opened yet. And the reason we ate them is because we had we have a big patch of wildflower of milkweed, common milkweed. And so he actually gathered them one day. I had to prune them because it was just too much for uh, in our garden. So he prepared them just with simply with tomato and onions and a little bit of 
spices, and they were really tasty. Nice. So, if you have plenty of something, and they were pretty cautious too, because it was the first time we tried them. But I have read so much, and I have so many books about native edibles that I wasn't afraid I was going to be poisoned by the flowers. But um, so we liked them so much that I kept pruning because well, you you would have to see our patch. It just it just goes into the neighbor's yard. We have to keep them from going too far. Mm-hmm. So and it's how we we gather the flowers. I hope you're enjoying listening to Nadia's wisdom. We're going to take a short musical break with a song called Stinging Nettles by Beans on Toast. Yep, that's right. That's the name of the artist, Beans on Toast. Hope you enjoy. Hi, kids. How are you doing? Thanks for listening. I've been asked to write a song about what you might be missing when you're staring at your smartphones and into your computer screens and not playing by the river, skipping stones and climbing trees. Did you know your great-granddaddy once out at the moon? But there won't be any footage of it on YouTube. And once upon a time when someone saw something beautiful, they'd watch it with their eyes, not through the screen of a telephone. Because a picture might be worth a thousand pixels, but there's still some things that you can do without your login details. So tell the dandelion it can tell the time. Roll your trousers up, head to the riverside. Blow the cobwebs off of your careless soul. Watch the sunrise when you're on your own. They'll try to tell you to be careful, but you never really live if you've never been stung by a stinging nettle. Hi, kids. Are you still listening? The irony's not lost on me. I use my computer and my phone every day. Not singing a song about a time machine. Of course, technology is excellent. And we're all living in the future. But don't forget to go outside once in a while and reconnect with nature. Tell the tiny lion it can tell the time. Roll your trousers up, head to the riverside. Blow the cobwebs off of your careless soul. Watch the sunrise when you're on your own. They'll try to tell you to be careful, but you never really lived if you've never been stung by a stinging nettle. <laughs> well, I hope you enjoyed that Beans and Toast, Beans on Toast song. And we're going to continue our conversation with Nadia and move away from Stinging Nettles into a, a more wide array of what's available out there in, in the wild. I'd like to uh, focus on the nutritional value. Yep. And I imagine by being natural, a natural product, we don't use any kind of uh, pesticide or any chemical in our yard. And so we, we 
we expect that they are pretty safe. We hope they are pretty safe. Well, I often find that for native plants, the nutritional value is the medicine. You know, you're getting all these molecules from the plant that are what I would call health care. So you're caring for your health. And I wanted to mention with stinging nettle, I, I found that uh, by looking it up in the Peterson's Field Guide to Medicinal Plants, mm-hmm. that uh, it is good for um, clearing mucus out of the lungs, uh-huh. and it's good for white blood cell pr- uh, production, uh-huh. and it's good for blood purification. Yeah, and it, it makes sense. I mentioned about the nutritional value of them, and they have iron and several other minerals. So that makes, that is very interesting to know. Yeah, I got excited reading it because, I mean, I think most certainly me, but everybody can benefit from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I just go, that's a way to go back to nature, too. Instead of trying to grow so much, sometimes we try to grow tomatoes and then and people start adding all those chemicals because they have they're all kinds of pests. But if you combine with native plants and then in your yard and then you grow a tomato, in between those native plants, you would have your own predators from the natives eating your, your pests. So you won't need to eat, to add anything, any chemical yeah great great point and that's kind of that's kind of aligned with the permaculture um ideology of you know as little work as possible how do we make it diverse and mix it up to where it all manages itself Uh and these natives were already here and you know i i knew this but this year i really started claiming it is that pharmaceuticals have not been around for very long and you know to just like it seems like people have just completely walked away abandoned and forgotten the nutritional and medicinal value and because of that they don't value it and they I often find a lot of folks just don't even believe it and to me that's really sad because you know this is how people survived for hundreds thousands of years and this whole pharmaceutical thing is is really brand new in in the scope of history yeah and and one thing i mean about the greens they all have most of them even if they sometimes there is no research about them but they have, at least they could be sources of iron. You don't need to consume uh, those vitamins or minerals that they sell you at the store. And I, I agree with that. Um, I mean, I just, it just, but we need to learn more about it. It's what I, um, like one plan that comes to mind to me that I have been learning more and more about is purslane. In, um, I don't know if you, if you have eaten purslane. Oh, uh, yes, yes. And, 
Yeah, you know, that one is a, it's a non-native plant. But it's, it's just here, has been with us forever. And it can grow the same as lamb's quarters in unexpected places. And you know that you're going to have them. If you had them one year, they will come back every year. I, but I... Uh-huh. Please go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say that I had a, a access to, to like, a nice patch of purslane because I mentioned that I'm now working at Lincoln University. I used to work for Lincoln uh, uh, for nine years before, and now I'm back. And so we are focusing on plants that are easy to grow, that are uh, adapted to dry conditions, and very uh, they don't need too much watering. And one of them is purslane. And, and it grows on its own. We have a, a greenhouse where we use it for propagation. But the raised beds just are, they're just purslane cane like crazy. And I have been eating it so much. And it's, I mean, if you find a good recipe, it, it, they're so tasty. And they're really a good source somewhere that purslane was brought over by the European colonists as a food and medicine. Yeah, it's like lamb's quarters. Yeah, and dandelion. And dandelion, yes, that's right. And probably and, so many. Yeah, and we have them. Why not use them? You just, you just need to learn, relearn, or we have to spread the word more uh, with people that are still not familiar with them. Yeah, and... and uh, to take off from there, I'll just recommend purslane to people who feel like they, uh, who feel like they can't grow plants. You know, maybe they don't have experience, or when they tried it, you know, the plants didn't survive. I see purslane growing out of sidewalk cracks. Is yeah, and put it in a pot. <laughs> yeah, it's very hardy. Yes. Yeah, you know that one thing that is so neat to, about this plant is says that it's a source of omega-3 oh. fatty acids. And they, I found uh, this article that is, uh, I mean, they have been studying this plant for a long time. So this was in the Scientific World Journal. And they talk about all the sources of uh, minerals, including uh, potassium and magnesium and calcium. So along with your, what you're talking about, that these plants are, uh, they can be good, uh, replaced for your medicine. So you don't need to go to the pharmacy. You just need to go to your backyard. Yeah. Save money, develop a relationship with the earth and the plants, and pretty soon you'll find out that you're starting to learn about the insects and and paying attention to how much rain we're getting, and it's a mm-hmm. it's a good way to just really get connected with the earth and yourself. Yeah, yeah and I um, and I'm I'm just hoping that in, in, in that in the future, well, I've been as you say, I've been working uh, a lot with these plants for years and years, and now we are trying to grow them as 
and to have demonstration areas where people can see how they can grow them themselves. And we just have a, we have access to them sometimes, in, in, and we can forage. But I just encourage people to grow them on their own, so they know their source, and they don't just pick them from areas that you don't know what was there was something spread. Yeah, and at this point, at this point, I'd like to mention that if you're going to forage, um, always make sure that you have permission. Um, and some places, uh, particularly public lands, it can be against the regulations to to forage. And so yeah. it's really important to get permission before we just go out there and start taking. Yeah, I agree. And uh, yeah, and then there's some, and I'm sure this will be like for in some public lands. But they, but they, the regulations are that you can harvest if you're gonna consume them, but don't don't dig them. You can harvest leaves and flowers sometimes, or fruits, but it depends where you, uh, depending on the area. Of course, not everything is the same. Yeah, and you know, I'll just take that a, a, a step further. I like to ask the plants for permission to harvest. And, yeah. and then just to remind people, you touched on it in the beginning with wild leeks, um, overharvesting is a serious problem. And so uh, generally I only take 10 to 15% of what I see available. Um, but if it's a small population, I don't even take. You know, if I only see a few plants, I don't want to come back next year and realize that I jeopardize them and they're no longer available in that place. Yeah, and the problem is that you might do it, but then somebody else will come and then harvest whatever you left. Oh, but yeah. So one thing that I, I recommend for white leeks is just to harvest the leaves. Uh, if you are really, you want, really want to have your, your leek, just harvest the leaves they will they, you won't kill the plant that way and you are not decimating the population and so and it's still pretty tasty yeah and I'll just share I don't harvest leeks because I know how sensitive they are um, mm -hmm. like you I would rather grow them and just take from that population yeah, and I and this is what I as I mentioned we have it in, in our yard and they are doing really great. They just like a moist area. I mean you can put them in the corner if you have a, a wood fence yard right there in the corner of your two fences or the of a corner. That's a perfect spot. They do like in a very good soil, like a woodland soil, and it can they cannot be too dry, but they even stand. A, a periods of drought in the summer, so so they are, they can be easily grown. And I just want to mention, if anybody's interested in learning more about them, I can they can contact me, and I don't mind if people uh, check my Facebook page, and that is called Native Plants and More, and just leave a message, and I will be happy to. 
Wow, thank you, Nadia. That's very generous of you. Yeah, of course. And, and we really need your help. You're you're so knowledgeable in this. And can well, you... thank you. I keep learning. <laughs> and I don't stop learning. <laughs> can you mention that Facebook page again and what people should do in order to get a hold of you? Yes, uh, I mentioned my Facebook page that is called, as you just all together, Native Plants and More, all in words. And the, you'll find me that way. I were, I have an email, a link, but it's so long that I people always get confused with my last name. And they can, they can also, I can, well, they can send me a message through Facebook. Sure. Thank you. Sure. I, I'm always happy. And also, we, we are growing some plants at, uh, in the, we have a nursery at Lincoln University, and we are trying to promote native plants for food. So if anybody's interested in getting plants that they cannot find in nurseries, uh, we will be able to, we might be able to provide. And especially for, for projects. And do you, do you have tours down there or workshops or how does somebody um, learn more about your nursery and the work that you're doing in the gardens down there? Actually, I'm uh, preparing a series of webinars and I can share the, the dates later on. And my idea is to do it, in, like to offer them now and the, later in the summer and, and then so people can be ready to start planting in the fall because that's a good a good time also to plant uh, native plants. So I don't have the days, but I'm planning on it. Okay. Well, I'll look forward to hearing from you. Please share, and, and uh, I'll make sure that it gets posted on the Farm and Fiddle Facebook page so that all of our listeners can uh, can learn more. Yeah, of course, and also um, we have an, a little, well, like I call, I call it a little farm. It's a, um, we call it finca. Finca in Spanish it means a small farm, just just a farm. Especially, it could be an urban farm. So there in the campus uh, at Lincoln, we have this uh, demonstration area with all kinds of um, native edibles including fruits, and if people are, um, are interested in seeing what we have, we offer tours, but individually. And since it's outdoors, uh, we, take, uh, we take all the precautions uh, to, be, to um, exercise social distance, and, and they can see uh, by themselves how the plants look like. Is that on the campus inside Jefferson City? Yeah, it is in, yeah, at Lincoln University in Jefferson City. That's great. And, yeah, and that's, uh, that's a good example. And even uh, in our yard, too, I have the front yard that anybody can come to see. It is, is I'm sure that anybody who lives near our area, they know us because it's the only yard that has lots and lots of natives in the front. And so that's for people to learn. And I put signs. Uh, we have signs at Lincoln. We have signs in our yard, in our front yard, so people can learn 
if they are interested. Yeah, and I'll just vouch that your yard is one of the most awesome yards I've seen in Columbia. Um, oh, thank you. You know, <laughs> with the signage, it just it's it's so great. Um, I can just walk through it and really learn about the plant and not have to try to figure it out. But then there are so many different plants, and you've really done a good job of filling all the space. Yeah, thank you. Sometimes I know that it might be a little overwhelming for some people, but uh, we call it our wildlife refuge mm-hmm. uh, because it's, it's what it is. Besides, uh, we can use it for food. But also we have all kinds of insects, and of course we have monarch butterflies here every year. And we have things like pawpaw, that that is a host plant for the zebra swallowtail butterfly. So we have seen uh, through the years um, the, the, the insect diversity increasing. Nice. And, and that is pretty... It's pretty exciting. We we are just we learn so much in just our little space. I I got excited hearing you say that you have zebra swallowtails. Yeah, you have to come. If you wanna come and see them, you're welcome. I'll show you where they are. And they, we were actually looking some zebra uh, caterpillars yesterday. They're really really cute, mm-hmm. and they just sit on top of the papa leaf. And they kind of seem to like to have suntans because I never seen caterpillars being right there in the sun, like facing the sun. Most of them they like to go under the, the leaves, but these ones they seem they just like it. They seem to like it. Well, I wonder. So it. I wonder if that's because of the natural insecticide, because the pawpaw um, has an insecticide in it to keep insects from eating it. And, uh-huh. and the zebra tail eats that, and it's protected for life. Well, and I think they are, um, that might be. And so but uh, there are some other insects that would eat, feed on them. There is um, there is actually um, a, a horn worm that feeds on papa. Okay. And, of course, doesn't feed on the zebras, but... Uh, and there are others, like even, unfortunately, Japanese beetles like the papas. And so we are always watching because they might be eating the leaf where the zebras are. If we mm. can save them, we, we uh, protect them by moving them. Yeah, that's awesome. But, yeah. Uh, and I remember, are you still uh, hatching out um, monarch butterflies? Yes, we are, but I do it only very, just just uh, with a few. This year they have been very, uh, not very abundant. So I decided to do just fine, maybe no more than 10 at a time. And then I, we have them in a place where it's really still, they are exposed to the, to the environment, to the outdoor, outdoors. And, but we just protect them from the, from predators. So this year we have we re, we release seven how, how butterflies, do, monarch butterflies. How do you protect them from the predators? We put them in tents, and there are some uh, tents that have very fine uh, screen, 
and that is the one that the entomologists use. So those are the ones that I prefer. And this year we had them in, uh, I actually have them in indoors, but I open the windows. So that's another way. That's... I, so I, because the weather was so mild, we kept the, the windows open. At least they have the, the air circulating. That's... I try not to. That's so cool. Yeah, and right now, I actually, I, got, I grabbed two zebras just to, just to see them growing a little. And I, I do, I have protected them from, from predators because we have a lot of wasps and lots of um, sting bugs, and they can eat them. So I just, I know I we try to be as natural as possible, and I know that's part of nature. But just just a couple to see what happens. <laughs> I love that it. You know, it seems like you're just really developing this strong relationship with them. Yeah, I just um, maybe I, I do it more for education, so people want to see them directly, and that they can so they think twice next time. Um, like for example, I used to prune the papas without even paying attention. Because they grow so much and they they expand, so now every time I cut a leaf, I have to see if there is a, a caterpillar or if it's a, some kind of larva, and a knife or eggs. So so it just it's a it's a little complicated <laughs> to be aware, <laughs> but but that's but it's, it's what you can do to protect those little critters. That's beautiful and very mindful of you, and I feel like you're probably just reaping the rewards for being so mindful. Oh, I, I'm appreciating your words. <laughs> I I really enjoy. I enjoy it, and I'm lucky that my husband, boy Randy, uh, we both share love for nature, so we both do what we can in our little area, and we're. Uh, thankful that the neighbors understand what we're doing. We wish they would do it more than uh, that they would do something of what we're doing, but at least they are pretty, they accept and we have people passing by that they, they notice the diversity. So it's just a way to make other people aware too. Yeah, it's beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's just how many times we have the zebras? We have oh, another one I haven't mentioned. Uh, we have a passion vine, and I know that the passion vine feeds about four different kinds of butterflies that I know of. So I started. I have to pull them because passion vine. If you're aware, if you're familiar with, they like to grow everywhere. So every time I had to pull one uh, shoot. I had to check the leaves, and then I started noticing all these little caterpillars. <laughs> so now we have like a like a flower arrangement, more like a leaf arrangement of leaves. This uh, passion flower, and so I put them in a ba- in a vase, and they still they're pretty pretty resilient. These plants, so they so you can see the caterpillars nice. growing little by little. That's amazing, Nadia. You are, I'm just 
amazed. <laughs> thank you. Well, thank you. I, I, I really enjoyed doing that, and I'd love to share that with others, and I hope everybody, I mean, many people that are listening to us uh, are already doing it. I'm sure they are. But if anybody wants to learn more, we can talk more, and I can, and I would definitely do the webinars, and I will keep you, I will give you the information for people to join. Now it's much easier. Thank you. With the webinars. Um, we're running out of time, unfortunately. This, I, I, I would like to spend a couple hours with you until I'm just exhausted. I'm not exhausted yet. <laughs> no, I. And I'm not, I never get exhausted when I talk about natives and, <laughs> and the little critters that depend on them. And so anytime you want to talk more. Thank you. I'm wondering, is there anything that you feel that you want to share before we end? Well, um, I mentioned that if people are interested in, in starting their own native plants, they don't have any. And that we'll be we'll be happy to share some. Uh, people can come to 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 see the yard, and even like here in my in our yard, I have so many plants that I can share. With, I mean, I can start probably ten gardens in one day. If people want to come, they they are free to come. Just contact me. And and if they, if there are people in the Jefferson City area. Uh, we also have uh, a place for them. So it just, um, we have places that we can show you. So if you haven't started yet, that would be, a, you can see what you can do. If, in, and one more thing is that you can, if anybody wants to get started, they start slow. That's the easiest way so you don't get overwhelmed. Great. I grow in too many plants. <laughs> Yeah, very wise advice, and I imagine you probably had to learn that the hard way, like myself. That's right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I keep I keep fighting all the plants that are there, kind of fighting with each other. So so yeah, I would do it differently, but it's okay. <laughs> that keeps me busy. <laughs> that I have, I still have a lot of common milkweed uh, available. And if people want to, if you want to say something during the show, that I have uh, these plants, I can I can give them away, and and they can be planted anytime as long as somebody keeps watering. They can be watered once a week, once they're in the ground. So if if anybody is interested, we have plants. Wow, thank you. I will probably hit you up for a few of those for sure. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I, I, mean, I mean, it's really neat because just these friends of mine, this, they, they are, I just met them, they are from Mexico, and they have, they came to my, to our yard, and they were just fascinated by everything they saw, and then, and I gave them milkweeds, and we have some blazing star, and I'm just, just was flowers. But we were talking about some of the edibles, and they got so excited. And it's what I, I want to uh, create, like a group. All right. Well, I really appreciate your time, and I really value everything that you've shared. Thank you. Well, thank you, Josh. 
thank you for uh, all you do too. <laughs> thank you. Okay, so so we'll be in touch. Of course. Okay. Okay. Have a wonderful weekend. Thank you. You too. Have the rest of the weekend. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye. I hope you enjoyed this uh, interview with Nadia Navarrete Tindall, our one of our native plant experts here in central Missouri. I certainly enjoyed uh, visiting with her and look forward to doing so again. And I hope you enjoyed this episode of Farm and Fiddle here on 89.5 FM, KOPN, Columbia, Missouri. And I'm going to end the show with the song that I began the show with, Swallowtail Jig by Katie Adelson. Good night, and thank you. <laughs>